uh, we're in the season of Advent, right? Advent. Uh, the word Advent, in case you're not familiar with that word, it simply means coming, arrival, right? And so Advent's a time as Christians where we celebrate the first Advent, the first coming of Christ as he's born as this newborn baby in Bethlehem, and we celebrate that. But Advent's a time that we not only remember that first coming uh, of Jesus, but we also look ahead to his second coming. Right? We look ahead to the second advent of Christ, when he will return in glory to renew and restore, restore all things. So Advent is a season of remembering, rejoicing, watching, and waiting. It's a, it's a great time. It's a time to quiet our hearts in the midst of a season that is crazy, busy, uh, all the shopping, all the consumerism, all the like, crazy things just going around, all kinds of events, parties, all that stuff. But it's an opportunity for us to just quiet ourselves in the midst of that. And just worship our King Jesus, who came and is coming again. Amen? So that's what we're doing. Uh, last week we kicked off uh, this, this four-week season of Advent. Uh, David preached to us from Isaiah. And he just walked us through some of the prophecy, kind of pointing to the, the people of Israel toward the coming of Jesus. This week we're going to look at the specific promise given to a very young woman that a very special baby was on the way. All right? Uh, we're Luke chapter 1. Right, Three different times in my life, uh, Crystal and I have received the news that a baby was on the way. Okay, Three different times. And I can remember all of them very distinctly. Uh, pretty special moments. Uh, you know, when you find out you're going to have a baby. Uh, I remember our, uh, the birth of our firstborn, Seth, right? being, being made aware that, hey, we're expecting our first child. Right? That changes everything. We were so excited. We were hoping and praying to, to have a child and, and to hear the good news that a child is on the way. Can't believe he's about to turn 13 in a month. I don't feel like I'm that old. Uh, until I step on a basketball court, and then I remember, yeah, I'm, I'm old enough to have a 13-year-old. Um, so, but, uh, but that's crazy to me, but, but it's just the excitement, the thrill, the unspeakable joy that you just can't contain when you're so excited to have a child, you're going to have a child, and you want to tell everyone, you want to shout it from the rooftops, right? Special for me that he was a boy as well. I was excited to have a son. It was beautiful. Right? A little over two years later, right, we get news again, and another baby's on the way, and we were excited, you know, we were, we were planning, hoping to have another, another child. And they told us that about 20 weeks along the way that, that this time we're going to have a baby girl, right? We're elated, right? What a blessing to have a boy and a girl. What a, what a gift that we get to have a, a son and a daughter. And we were, again, met with just this unspeakable joy that we couldn't contain, that we had to share. I was also met with that moment, that, that sudden urge to learn to be skilled with a weapon, um, <laughs> right? All of that kind of coming together, um, but Seth and Leah were, were expected blessings, like things we were hoping for, things we were trying for. Really, trying isn't like a fair word for Crystal and I when it comes to pregnancy. The Lord, by His grace, has blessed us that like, we think about getting pregnant, and then we, we're having a baby. Right? We just thought baby, baby was on the way. Um, worked a little bit differently than that, but that was kind of basically, it's like, boom, you're having a baby. Um, that brings us to number three, right? Uh, number three, we weren't really thinking about having a baby, if I'm honest with you. We weren't trying to have a baby. Um, we know how that works, so we weren't necessarily not trying, I guess, either. But, um, but we found out we're having Levi, our, our third born, and we, we love Levi. He is such a blessing in our home, right? Uh, 
the news that he was on the way was, is still joyful, right? Because we, deep, we, we believe deep down within us what it says in the Psalms, what the Bible says, that the children are a blessing from the Lord, right? They're a blessing. Whether they're expected, unexpected, no matter the circumstances, they're a blessing. Children are a blessing. So we, there was joy, but it was like that kind of surprise joy, right? Like, guess what's happening now? Joy, you know, Right? We literally had just come back from like our first family vacation, the four of us, and Crystal and I were just like, isn't this great? The four of us, it's going to be the four of us forever, right? Just, dude, family, where are we going next year? Boom, you know, like, we're going to the hospital next year. That's where we're going. Um, having a baby. Um, joyful, joyful, joyful. Um, but it was kind of like joy that also came with like the, what do we do, right? Because we were not prepared for this. We were not planning on this. We just kind of felt like we were settled into playing man defense here. We got our, our game on, the one parent to one child ratio. Now we got to switch to playing zone. Um, we are a little intimidated by all that, trying to figure all that out. But there was joy, but it also felt like there's a lot to figure out. Now, now the point is with that, is that we're looking at a text here today where a very young woman, and actually, if, if we're honest, we would call her a very young girl. Because you need to know that the Virgin Mary was probably about 14 or 15 years old when the angel visits her in this text. Young girl. Think eighth grader, ninth grader. That's how old she is. Right? Very young girl. This young lady named Mary is going to get some very unexpected news about a baby on the way. Right? Where my personal illustration kind of falls short is that Crystal and I, even though we weren't necessarily plating on a third child, uh, we understood how that worked, right? We just we finished the Song of Solomon. I don't think we need to recap that for any of us. We understand how it worked. We're married, right? It, un, it made sense how a baby could be on the way, right? Very different from Mary. She's not Mary. Right? She's engaged. The text will say that she's betrothed. And if you kind of study your history there, that this, this betrothal, this engagement, was a very formal engagement that actually required a divorce to break in that day. So she's engaged, but she is a virgin. She has not been with her uh, fiancé. She's not been with any man. This is a very unexpected blessing, like way more unexpected blessing than our unexpected blessing. Um, and so that's what she is facing here when she is told that, that a baby is on the way. And it's not just any baby, right, but the Savior of the world. You're going to be the mother, 14 or 15 year old girl, of the savior of the world, the creator and sustainer of all things. You're going to get to be his mom, right? Congratulations. Surprise. Um, Big news. That's a big job, right? Big surprise. How would she respond to the promise of, of joy to come? And even more, what does this promise to Mary kind of speak to us right now, today? And how should we respond to that? So let's dig into the text uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 26 through 38, and, and just see what the Lord has for us today. Uh, if you're not there already on your Bibles, it's on page uh, 730 in those gray Bibles on your row. By the way, if you're a guest today, you don't have a Bible, please take one of those with you. We love that to be a gift so that you could have God's Word, put it into your heart. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time of year. Uh, that is so special just to, to pause and reflect on, on your first uh, coming, Lord Jesus, and, and your second coming to wait that expectantly, anticipating the joy that you will bring with you, uh, an ending joy. Uh, Father, I pray uh, by your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts to hear from your word today. You would speak to us. You would transform us by your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So as you get into this text, I want you to notice first off that there are, there's essentially three exchanges that take place here between the angel, uh, the messenger of the Lord, and, and Mary, right? Three exchanges. The angel speaks three times. Mary responds three times. Uh, the angel delivers this promise uh, of joy to come. But what's the promise given, right? Here's the promise in a nutshell, right? The most high has become the most low. That's the promise. The most high has become the most low. Notice that twice in this passage that God is called the most high. And and that's the message. The most high has become the most low. The creator and sustainer of the universe has become a baby. The promise is the incarnation. right? The incarnation. God becoming man. God becoming a human being. The most high has become the most low. But what does the incarnation mean for you and for me, what, what does this promise given here mean? Well, it means a couple of things right off the bat. Right? First, it means that, that God is far greater than we thought. And it also means that we are far more sinful than we think. Right? God's far greater than we thought, and we are far more sinful than we think. This is what the promise communicates to us. That first, God is far greater than we thought. There is no other philosophy, no other religion that would ever dream of a God becoming man, right? Of this supreme deity becoming a human being. No other way of thinking would would embrace that thought outside of Christianity. Uh, Let alone this idea of of God becoming this single, weak, unique, tiny, newborn baby. No way. Some reject it for making Christ so central. This seems to limit things down to Jesus too much. We can't accept that. Judaism and Islam reject the incarnation because they believe that God is too great to become limited in a human being form. You know? But this passage actually tells us that his becoming, it is his becoming most low that makes him most high. That's what the passage says. Uh, that's what scriptures say. The Apostle Paul says that in Philippians 2 as well. That his becoming low 
the most low, is what makes him most high. That, that Jesus is lifted up and exalted as the name above all names because he emptied himself and became nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, being born as this baby in Bethlehem. Becoming low is what makes him most high. Pastor Tim Keller, a uh, pastor in New York City, he says, in fact, to disbelieve in the incarnation in the name of the greatness of God is actually to diminish his greatness. Right? In another work, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Miracles, he says it like this. Uh, he says, we catch sight of a new key principle. Right? The power of the higher, just insofar as it is truly higher, to come down, the power of the greater to include the less. Thus, solid bodies exemplify many truths of plain geometry, but plain figures no truths of solid geometry. And he gives some other examples there, but everywhere the great enters the little. Its power to do so is almost the test of its greatness. Now let me help those of us who got lost at geometry, okay? Um, I do math. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, you, right, here, let, me, let me break it down like this. You can act like a dog with your dog, right? You can get down on all fours and kind of become like a dog and bark with your dog and kind of play and, you know, you know, act like a dog with your dog, right? You could become lesser with your dog, but at no point in time is your dog going to pull up a chair at the kitchen table, sit down, have a cup of coffee with you and discuss philosophy. That's not going to happen. No, I don't know how, how cool your dog is. I love my dog, but they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. They cannot do that. Or think of it this way, a person who is full of peace and joy can very much enter into the world, into the emotions of someone who is completely just crushed and despondent, right? and sympathize and, and care for and love. But there is no way that a person who is completely despondent can enter into the joy of someone else. It doesn't work that way, right? Because... Joy and peace are the higher, and anger and brokenness, despondency, are the lower. Again, as C.S. Lewis says, everywhere the great enters the little, its power to do so is almost a test of its greatness. Right? To kind of flip it around, it's the inability of the lesser to enter the greater that proves that it is, in fact, lesser. Okay? Wisdom can always understand and spot foolishness for what it is. But foolishness cannot grasp wisdom. It is, it's incomprehensible. It cannot understand it because it's foolishness. Right? You're in foolishness. You don't know wisdom. That has to be revealed. Right? God is far greater than we thought. It's His greatness that enables Him, the Most High, to become the Most Low. Right? It, it defines His greatness. It, it gives us this deeper understanding of how great God truly is. That He could come. And be made in the form of man. To be born as a baby in Bethlehem. That's the first thing this promise tells Mary. It's the first thing that it tells us. The most high has become the most low. Right? The angel essentially saying to Mary. Mary you thought God was great. But let me tell you how great he is. Let me tell you how great God is. And what he's about to do. In and through you. Right? The most high has become the most low. God becoming man. But the incarnation does not only tell us about God and his greatness, it says something about us as well. And what it tells us is that we are far more sinful than we think we are. We are far more sinful 
Right? The message here to Mary, the message of Christmas to us is, you are far worse than you thought. You're far worse off. Happy Christmas. Right? Far worse. And you're like, where is that in the text? Where does it say that I'm so bad off? Well, the reality is that gifts carry with them a message. They're not. Every gift we receive carries with it a message. So in a little more than a couple weeks, I'll sit down with my family uh, around the Christmas tree. We'll exchange gifts. And let's just say, hypothetically, I'm opening my gifts. I open up my first gift, and it's a book entitled How to Win Friends and Influence People. (laughs) Subtitle, Becoming a Kinder, Gentler Version of You. Right? And I'm like, hmm, what might that mean about me? And I'm like, all right, let's, let's check out the next gift. So I open up my next gift, and it's a workout DVD, right? Lose 30 pounds in 30 days, it says on the front cover. Hmm, what, what might this be saying about me? And basically, essentially, for me to receive those gifts and then say thank you for those gifts is that I am admitting I'm a big, fat jerk, Right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying when I say thank you for those gifts because those gifts carry with them a meaning. Do they not? Think about what the gift of Christ, what the incarnation says to us. What does it say to us? God has emptied himself. He has become nothing. Taking on the nature of a servant, being born in human likeness, Jesus sets aside his crown. He steps out of heaven to be born in a dirty, smelly barn. To live the life you never could. Perfect. Free from sin. And then to empty himself of that life itself. To die. To cut off his fellowship with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. To be separated from that in your place. Dying on the cross as your sin for your sin. He empties himself completely. Why? Why did he do that? Because you and I were that bad off. We were so separated from God. Right? An unbreachable gulf between us. Right? We could not work. We could not make it better. We couldn't fix it. Not just a little bit broken. Destroyed. Right? It took God emptying himself. Becoming a man. Living the life we never could. Dying the death that we deserve. Rising again victorious over the grave. To reconcile us to God. Right? Our condition, apart from Christ, is so desperate. It, our need is enormous. We, we are far more sinful than we think we are. It's not just the, the things that we do that we're like, ah, that's, that's a bad decision, that's a bad choice, that's a bad behavior. But, but it's... The attitudes underneath those behaviors. It's the attitudes underneath even some of the good things that we do. The selfish motives for for doing good. To get a pat on the back. To puff us up. The refusal to turn to Christ. But rather to turn to self. To turn to other things. To give what only God can give. We are far more sinful than we think. To open those gifts at Christmas. I immediately think to myself. Am I that way? Someone would give me this book and this DVD. Am I that that way? And if we're thinking about it, when we look at at the gift of Christ, we must immediately ask, are we that bad off? And the answer is an absolute yes. Yes, we are. 
The message of the incarnation is the gospel. It tells us that God is far greater than we thought. It tells us that we are far more sinful than we think. And it also tells us that God is far more loving than we can imagine. The angel tells Mary in verse 31, And and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You should call him Jesus. Jesus, which means Savior. His name literally means God rescues. That's what Jesus means. And the angel continues, verses 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus has come to rule as a king, as the king who has come to save us. He's emptied himself, made himself nothing. He has lived, died, and rose again to save you and me. The incarnation shows us how much God loves us. How much he loves us. It shows us the great extent he's willing to go to, to pursue us and rescue us, redeem us and bring us back to him. We need to remember not just Christ's coming, but why he came. Why he came. It's not just some vague sentimentality to exchange gifts with each other, right? We need to remember why he had to come. Remember that God had created us in his image to live in his kingdom under his perfect rule. And in Genesis 1 and 2, it's it's life the way it should be. It's the world the way it was intended to be. Perfect fellowship with God that Adam and Eve share in those first two chapters. Then Genesis 3 happens, and it's destroyed, Right? They sin, they rebel, they choose to be their own God, to become their own gods, in their, in their, make God in their own image, if you will. Um, and they reject his rule, uh, they rebel against him, They're, they sever that connection with God, that fellowship is broken, they distort and break all of our relationships with one another, which is why there is so much fractured uh, relationships in the news these days, racial tensions, it's the fall, right? It's the fall. The creation itself distorted, no longer what it was meant to be. But even in the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, Dave pointed this out last week, God displays his great love for us, making this promise that he will not leave things the way they are. He will not leave the world in the condition that it is in. He has a plan to redeem, to restore, to reconcile, to bring back into fellowship, ascending his son. Before God created a star in the sky, he knew you and he loved you and he sent Christ for you, for me, to redeem us, to rescue us, to reconcile us to God, to reconcile us to one another, right? To break down the hostilities, the dividing walls that separate us, all these different peoples, all these different tongues, all these different parts of the globe, to reconcile us in Christ, He set in motion that plan because he loved us so, so much. Jesus is the plan, right? He he is God's plan from eternity past. His coming, his living, his dying, his rising again to rescue us. The incarnation shows us what great lengths God would go to to love you, to rescue you, to restore your relationship with him, to restore your relationship with your brothers and sisters. At no point was Jesus like, I can't believe I'm doing this, right? I don't want to. I don't want to step out of heaven and become a baby for these people, right? I don't want to. I don't want to live the life that they they could not live and and go through all that and empty myself. I don't want to do that for them. 
That was never, he never said that. That was not his attitude at any point. He never thought that. In great love, unimaginable love, Jesus came for you and for me. Right? The incarnation is the gospel. God is greater than you thought. He is not just great, he's that great. Right? You are more sinful than you think. You're not just a little bit broken. You are destroyed. Right? You need rescue. You need salvation. You don't just need a little help, a little pick-me-up. Right? You need complete rescue. And God in Christ has done the most radically loving thing that could ever be done to come for you. He has loved you from eternity past, having you and your rescue in mind before he created anything. He has loved you by giving all of himself, not just a little bit, not just a part, but emptying himself completely for you. Giving all of him for you. Right? No one loves you like that, by the way. No one can love like that. Your, your mom, your dad, your parents, they don't love you like that. They cannot possibly love you. They're not capable of loving you like that. Your spouse does not love you like that. They can't. Your children will not love you like that. They don't love you like that. They cannot. They are not capable of loving like that. Only God loves like this. Only God can love like this. He loves you far more than you can ever imagine. That is the promise that's given here. And how does Mary respond? How does she respond to this promise? She responds beautifully. It's beautiful. If I could say something, in traditions, in Catholicism, sometimes I think Catholics are a little guilty of making too much of Mary, right? Almost elevating her to a divine level, almost co-savior kind of level. You make a little too much of Mary. But in Protestantism, you know, we have knee-jerk reaction made too little of her, right? We, we, we don't want to talk about her at all. We don't want to acknowledge anything about her. We want to kind of just kind of keep her in a little box and not talk about her. I, I think we're guilty of that as well. Right? Her response here is great. Right? It's a progression that she works through as she responds. It's not just like an instantaneous response. Right? It's a progression. It, it's, it's several stages here, three stages that we see. And they move with each of these three exchanges that she has with the angel in this conversation. Right, she begins with the first stage, right? With an awakening. With an awakening. Verse 29, if you look at it, it, it sounds a little strange when you, you think about it, right? The angel appears, and the, right the verse before, he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she, verse 29 says, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What sort of greeting is this? I mean, like, how many different kinds of greetings do angels have? Like, there's the... There's a, you're going to have a baby without, you know, uh, that greeting. And then there's the, it's like, if we kind of dig into that a little bit more, the language is difficult there for sure. I don't have the skills, but reading several commentaries, right, uh, what is probably likely happening there is Mary is trying to discern what is going on, right? An angel just appeared to me and started speaking to me. Is this real? Am I awake? Do I need to pinch myself? Like, is this actually happening? Or am I making this up in my head? Am I asleep? Like, what's going on? Is this real? She's coming to terms with the fact that it is, in fact, very real. That's what she's doing right there. She's trying to discern what's going on. It, this is actually happening. She's awakened to the fact that God is truly speaking to her in this moment through this messenger, this angel. That's the first stage of, of any response to the gospel, is it not? Being awakened to the possibility that it's true. 
that it might be, it could be. Right? Awaken to the reality that you are in sin. And you're far worse off than you thought. Awaken to the need for rescue. Awaken to the possibility that God, in fact, has, has loved you so much to carry out that rescue in the person and work of Jesus Christ. To be awakened that that could be. That's always the first stage of a response. And like it is for Mary, for us, this stage is always initiated by God. Right? He awakens us by His Holy Spirit to that possibility. He awakens us. Twice the angel mentions that Mary has found favor with God. Found favor with God. What's that? That's grace. She's found grace. There's nothing special about Mary. There's nothing divine about Mary. Mary is an ordinary 14, 15 year old girl. But she found favor. God extended grace to Mary. God chose Mary. Showed her grace. Right? She didn't earn it. God chose her by his grace. The second stage, Mary's response, you see here, is sincerity. Sincerity. The angel explains what God is about to do in, in verses 31 through 33, right? Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And what's Mary's response? Yeah, I totally get that, right? Uh, no, she says, and Mary, it says, and Mary said to the angel, verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? That's not possible, right? How is that going to work? That can't work. Like that, nothing's happened to make that work, is what she's thinking. She questions. In sincerity, she brings her doubt to God. Right? She talks with him about it. She brings her questions to God through the angel. And she's wrestling here. That's what she's doing. She's, in sincerity, she's wrestling through what she's being told. And here we see that God does not have issues with our doubting. He doesn't have issues with questions. He welcomes them. But too many of us in our doubts and in our questions, we turn from God and we refuse to interact with him in that. Right? We decide, that I got doubts He's not real. I'm just going to talk to myself and other people who will like, encourage me in that. Like, I'm not going to bring it to God. I'm not going to ask him if he's there. I'm not going to ask him to speak to my questions. I'm just going to work through it on my own. Yeah. But Mary shows us something here. She shows us how we should deal with those, right? Bring them to God. Take your questions to him. Right? Ask him. Seek him out in his word and in prayer. Right? Mary shows us how to wrestle in faith. How, how to question our doubts, right? Not just to question the truth of, of the gospel, but question your doubts. You know, to doubt your doubts. Are those true? What makes them true? You know, to bring it to God. Now, some of you in, in your doubt will think along, somewhere, along, somewhere, somewhere along the lines of, of course, Mary believed that what the angel said, because people back then were just predisposed to believe in things like a, a virgin birth. You know? They just kind of take that hook, line, and sinker and just like, yeah, that's got to be true. But does the text not show us that that's absolutely false? Right? There's no way that, that that's, that's true. Right? Mary didn't think that way uh, any more than you or I would. Right? She didn't think it was any more possible than you think it's possible. In fact, she voices her doubt. How will this be since I'm a virgin? This is not, this cannot happen, is what she's saying. 
She didn't accept the virgin birth because she had some kind of primitive worldview. She was just like you and me in thinking that there was no way that this could happen. Mary didn't believe the virgin birth because she was predisposed or because she was gullible. She believed it because it happened. Because it happened. The author of this gospel, right? The uh, medical doctor and the very methodical historian, Luke. right? He would not include this in his account if he did not believe it to be fact. It's not how he operated. Fact. It happened. That's why they believed it. Because it happened. Right? Would you, like Mary, take your questions, take your doubts, and talk with God about them? Ask him if he's there. Ask him if it is true. And then would you do one more thing? Would you do one more thing? Would you give him space to speak, to respond to you? Not just ask him and be done, but to listen. To listen. That's what Mary does. And she listens as the angel speaks to her the third time. Verse 35 uh, through 37. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Right? That was impossible too, by the way. No one thought that was ever happening. But guess what? God can do things. He can do a few things. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. God is so great. His love is so great that the angel says nothing will be impossible with God. Mary then moves from sincerity to this third stage of her response, submission. Verse 38, it's beautiful. Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She submits with a profound faith. Remember, this is a young girl. 14, 15 years old, who's responding here. Right? The angel speaks to her. She has this profound faith to respond. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. And let's be clear what she is saying when she says, let it be to me according to your word. Do you understand what she's saying there? Let it be to me according to your word. Right? This is a very traditional culture that Mary lives in. She's saying, I understand what you just told me means that I will be an unwed mother. Right? That I will have a child out of wedlock. And in this culture, there's no like big city culture that's just gonna like you can hide out in and no one's gonna know what's going on with you. Like everyone will know. Everyone will know. She will be ostracized from her family. She'll be ostracized from her friends. She knows at this time when she makes this response, this likely means that that Joseph will divorce her, that he will abandon her, he will leave her, which means she's be facing the prospect of, uh, of being an unwed mother for her entire life because no one will marry her in this culture. Right? Which means she'll be on the brink of extreme poverty her entire life. Let it be to me according to your word. That's what Mary says here. And, and let's be clear, Joseph would have left her had not an angel Another messenger of the Lord visited him and told him not to. That's the kind of stuff she was facing here. She's like, let it be to me that I be disgraced. Let it be to me that I be ostracized. Let it be to me that I face extreme poverty. 
She isn't filled with joy when she says that. There's no joy at this part in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke. There's no, point, there's no joy here yet. She's not filled with joy. Uh, she sees what she needs to do and she says, I give myself in service to the Lord unconditionally. The joy comes later. The joy comes later, right? She, we'll look at that next week as Mary visits her relative, Elizabeth. Spirit fills Elizabeth to speak to Mary. And then all of a sudden, the joy bursts, right? And she just breaks out in worship. Joyful worship. This is Mary's response here, right? She's awakened to the possibility, yet filled with doubts and insincerity. She brings those doubts to God, and in faith, she submits to God. She says, I see the evidence, I see what is going on, and I give myself to you unconditionally. That's what she does. And isn't this the way that we become Christians? Right? For most of us, it's not like a, a flash of light all at once kind of experience. It happens in stages, right? Coming awake to the possibilities, working through a period of questioning and doubting. And and even after we come to faith, there's still questions. Like, I still have questions. I still have doubts on some days. Like, is this real? Right? But to bring those questions, to bring those doubts to God and let Him speak to those and reassure, yes, it is in fact very real. And to submit in faith. To trust. Give ourselves fully to God as He's given Himself fully to us. There are stages, there are struggles, but there is surrender, and eventually there is joy. Eventually there is joy. Right? For those of you who are not Christians, those of you with doubts and questions today, can I ask you to bring, would you bring those doubts and questions to God? Not just keep them to yourselves, but would you share them? Would you ask Him? Would you pray? Would you seek Him out in His Word? Would you seek Him out in community with others who love you and love the Lord? Would you seek those questions out with Him? Talk with him, invite him into it. Let him speak with you. I pray that you would, in that, find hope and faith in him that brings great joy, knowing that he is greater than you thought. You are far more sinful than you think, but he loves you far more than you could ever imagine. Right? For all of us, as we think on this first advent of our Lord Jesus, as we think on the response of Mary, would that shape our hearts to respond each day in just humble submission to our God? Humble submission to Jesus as we wait on his second coming, knowing that he will return with an even greater joy, right? A promise of even greater joy that will never end when he returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Uh, We thank you for this time just to worship and, and be together and to remember and reflect, to look ahead and wait in anticipation. God, I pray that you would shape our hearts by your word to to seek you out, to wrestle with our questions, to wrestle with our doubts, but to involve you in it. And that we would find answers, we'd find reassurance, but most importantly, we'd find faith, we'd find hope, we'd find joy in you. Would you renew us by your spirit to to walk from this place in, in humble submission to you, looking forward to the day when you return to restore all things. And to join you in the meantime on mission to to bring about spreading the hope, spreading the joy, spreading the promise of what lies ahead. God, would you use us, would you fill us by your spirit to be your people in this place, to encourage, to equip, to go, to share, to serve, to bless, all in Jesus' name. Amen.